Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight Podcast for the May issue of the journal Chest. We have a great lineup of original research and review articles in this month's issue. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I'll provide a brief overview of original research manuscripts published in each of our content areas. In our asthma section this month, Weschler and colleagues assessed the real-world outcomes of reslizumab use an anti-IL-5 monoclonal antibody in patients with severe eosinophilic asthma. In this retrospective study, only 3% of those who received reslizumab were considered non-responders, while nearly 60% showed an excellent response. A reduction in asthma exacerbations, oral corticosteroid use, and improvements in FEV1 and ACT scores were noted. This supports the use of anti-IL-5 therapy in this patient group, as suggested by prior trials. A second study in this section asked whether machine learning models using large-scale outpatient data could predict asthma exacerbations. Data was extracted from electronic health records of over 60,000 asthma patients over an eight-year time period to build prediction models. The models had moderate accuracy in predicting non-severe asthma exacerbations and good accuracy in predicting ED visits and hospitalizations. Age, LABA use, high-dose inhaled corticosteroid use, or chronic oral glucocorticoid therapy were included in all of the models. This tool may help health systems direct the intensity of their monitoring and treatment programs. In our chest infection section this month, Perea and colleagues identified three clusters of bronchiectasis patients based on antimicrobial peptides and markers of airway inflammation, tissue remodeling, and damage. Each cluster was associated with disease severity and had different risks of the number and time to first exacerbation. This understanding may help guide the intensity of care and identify targets for personalized care. A second study in this section determined the clinical and genotypic characteristics of children with primary ciliary dyskinesia in China. Chronic wet cough, recurrent sinusitis, and bronchiectasis were the most common manifestations. Post-infectious bronchiolitis was identified in 8% of children, and a novel gene was observed expanding the primary ciliary dyskinesia genotypic spectrum. A third study in this section aimed to characterize testing and treatment for Legionella pneumophilia in a retrospective cohort of over 160,000 patients. They found testing occurred in around a quarter of pneumonia patients with 1.5% of tests returning positive. The majority of positives occurred from June to October Of those who tested positive, 77% had received empiric Legionella therapy. The information identified here may help to determine the proper use of testing and guide empiric therapy choices. 
The final full research article in this section aimed to determine whether clinical phenotypes of COVID-19 were associated with differential responses to corticosteroid therapy. A hyperinflammatory phenotype was identified where corticosteroids showed significant survival benefits. Research letters published in this section identified features of those likely to test positive for SARS-CoV-2 and the impact of bronchiectasis on incident mycobacterial disease. In our COPD section this month, Labaki Ehal assessed the association between quantitative emphysema on a screening low-dose CT scan and lung cancer. In over 7,000 individuals who participated in the National Lung Screening Trial, they found that an increase in low attenuation areas was associated with higher hazards for lung cancer incidence, mortality, and all-cause mortality. In 2,700 participants who had spirometry performed, low attenuation areas were associated with airflow obstruction. These findings may help to improve lung cancer risk prediction and COPD diagnosis. In the second article published in this section, authors aim to determine whether single-limb, low-load, high-repetition resistance training improves exercise capacity, health status, and muscle function in patients with severe COPD. They found that single-limb training led to improvement in the percentage of individuals who exceeded the clinically important difference of improvement in the six-minute walk and a relevant reduction in dyspnea during training. This approach may allow for greater tolerability of training and thus better outcomes in this group. A How I Do It article on placement of endobronchial valves for emphysema treatment rounds out this section. Our critical care section this month includes five original research articles. The first was a randomized controlled trial that assessed whether maintaining low tidal volume ventilation during cardiopulmonary bypass could reduce postoperative pulmonary complications compared to no ventilation. No difference was found in the entire study cohort, whereas in just those who underwent isolated coronary artery bypass grafting, lower complication rates were found in the ventilation group. The second article in this section was a retrospective cohort study of patients receiving mechanical ventilation in 780 hospitals in the Premier Research database. They found those that spent the longest time undergoing mechanical ventilation consumed a disproportionate amount of resources, making them a potential target for streamlining care. The third article used data from the national inpatient sample to reveal that care in urban teaching hospitals, hospitals in the northeastern United States, and Medicaid insurance coverage were associated with prolonged hospitalization in patients with acute respiratory failure. During the 10-year study period, incidence and mortality decreased among those with prolonged length of stay. This information may inform care planning for those with acute respiratory failure. The fourth article in this section is a retrospective multicenter cohort study that found the administration of a phenylephrine push prior to norepinephrine infusion in patients with septic shock led to improved rates of hemodynamic stability at hour three, but not at hour 12. Receipt of the push was associated with higher ICU mortality, 
leading the authors to suggest caution in its use. The final research article in this section identified three clusters of critically ill COVID-19 patients, each with distinct immunologic features, cytokine release, complement activation, or B lymphocyte defects, and associated these with different ICU outcomes. This analysis could lead to targeting of therapies in future clinical trials. A special feature article on the use of LTEX to support the COVID-19 response is also included in this section. Our diffuse lung disease section this month includes a double-blind, placebo-controlled, multi-centered trial by Drake and colleagues that aim to determine the safety and efficacy of antimycobacterial therapy and sarcoidosis. They found no difference in FEC or six-minute walk distance between the treatment arms and the change in the St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire favored placebo. This dampens enthusiasm for the pursuit of this therapy in sarcoidosis. A second study published in this section assessed whether survival varies between interstitial lung disease patients with and without self-reported familial pulmonary fibrosis. Family histories of over 1,200 consecutive patients were systematically collected from two centers. Those with familial IPF had an 80% increased risk of death or transplantation compared to sporadic IPF. Those with familial non-IPF ILD had a twofold increased risk compared to non-familial forms and a risk equal to that of sporadic IPF. These results may help identify groups who could benefit from early intervention. In our education and clinical practice section this month, Luthwaite and colleagues developed and externally validated a contemporary reference set for peak cardiopulmonary exercise test responses in adults. Normative reference ranges for 28 peak CPET parameters and prediction models for eight peak CPET parameters were equivalent to measured values in the validation set and performed better than previously available prediction, prediction tools. A second article published in this section evaluated the incidence and clinical features of swimming-induced pulmonary edema in candidates undergoing U.S. Navy special warfare training. 5% of over 2,100 candidates developed swim-induced pulmonary edema. Cough was the dominant symptom, and crackles were present in half of those with swim-induced pulmonary edema. An interstitial pattern with perifisheral thickening was commonly seen on imaging. There were no predictive features of who would develop this syndrome. Chest reviews in this section included one describing emotional intelligence from our leadership series and another about medical education during the COVID-19 pandemic. How I do it, describing assessment for air travel can also be found in this section. In our pulmonary and cardiovascular section, a study from Doyne and colleagues presents the ECG and ECHO findings in critically ill COVID-19 patients. 70% of patients experience cardiac injury within the first 14 days of ICU stay, most commonly left ventricular abnormalities, right ventricular systolic dysfunction, and pericardial effusions. 
A second study in this section developed and validated an algorithm for identifying patients with pulmonary hypertension from administrative databases that included ICD pulmonary hypertension diagnosis codes, right heart cath procedure codes, and pulmonary arterial hypertension-specific therapy. This work can help to identify individuals for clinical research inclusion and inform quality improvement efforts. A research letter assessing the clinical impact of the new definition of precapillary pulmonary hypertension completes this section. The chest sleep medicine section this month includes a study that aimed to determine how obstructive sleep apnea physiology changes stage in non-REM sleep apnea and REM sleep apnea and to outline differences in the underlying pathophysiologic conditions in these groups. They found that patients with non-REM sleep apnea had worse ventilatory control stability during non-REM sleep compared with REM sleep, while patients with REM sleep apnea were more likely to have a collapsible airway during REM sleep compared to non-REM sleep. A second study in this section, a randomized controlled non-blinded parallel group clinical trial included patients with stages three and four chronic kidney disease, asked whether treatment with CPAP could improve kidney function in patients with coexisting obstructive sleep apnea. They found no difference in estimated GFR decline between the treated and the untreated groups. A possible association in those with lower risk of disease progression was noted. A chest review on the management of sleep apnea and insomnia completes this section. Our thoracic oncology content area includes four original research articles this month. The first was a nationwide population-based observational cohort study from the Swedish National Quality Register for General Thoracic Surgery, looking to answer whether women who undergo pulmonary resections for lung cancer have a better prognosis than men. They found a survival advantage in women, regardless of age, common comorbidities, socioeconomic status, lifestyle factors, and characteristics of the surgery and tumor. The second study in this section assessed the impact of an oncology care provider targeted empathic communication skills training program on providers' communication skills. They found an improvement in empathic communication skills, stigma mitigating skills, and breadth of communication skill use, resulting in higher overall satisfaction with communication in the patients served. The third study is a retrospective cohort analysis that used the National Cancer Database to determine if racial disparities exist in the surgical treatment of thymic malignancies. After controlling for possible confounders, race remained independently associated with the receipt of surgical resection. The final study in this section identified potential value in lowering age and smoking history eligibility criteria for lung cancer screening in World Trade Center exposed fire department rescue and recovery workers. A How I Do It, describing the nurse coordinator role in bronchoscopic lung volume reduction programs, and a chest review discussing the management of subsolid lung nodules round out this section. 
Finally, I encourage you to take a look at a fascinating historical review chronicling tobacco as a commodity through the years and an interesting perspective on intubation in our Humanities and Chess Medicine series. Our case series publications for the month provide novel and educational cases to test and educate you. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high quality content available in this month's issue of Chest. As always, I'm grateful to the authors of this work, the reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these submissions into our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the May issue. Thanks for listening to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chestjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.